You're listening to an all-new episode of Self-Made Strategies. Visit selfmadestrategies.com for new episodes, information about our guests, and a whole lot more. On this episode, we sat down with Bodine Sanders, the author of the new book, Race Against Against Race. That book is Bodine's memoir. It's all about transcending stereotypes and bringing diversity and inclusion into our homes, into our discussions, into our boardrooms, into our communities. It's the story of one young athlete's dream to play college football and the racial divides that unfolded as he tried to fit in. Bodine slowly integrated into this new cultural experience, avoiding culture shock by staying positive and focusing on shared experiences like chasing dreams. Bodine discovered that he and his teammates learned from each other to develop and grow relationships based on mutual respect and acceptance, something we can all learn from. Here are the self-made strategies of Bodine Sanders. And Bodine, thank you so much for joining us. And for those who are listening, you can see Bodine and I speaking either live over video on our YouTube channel. Go to YouTube and search for self-made strategies. There'll also be a link down in the show notes. Or if you're listening to the audio only version, you'll hear Bodine and I talking about a lot of really cool things today, particularly about how to effectively incorporate diversity and inclusion into our organizations. But we'll also talk about tackling issues of social acceptance race relations and cultural identity. We'll talk about learning skills to build relationships with Americans from different races. We'll talk about how to transcend stereotypes through the foundation of sports. And we'll talk about overcoming adversity to achieve a dream like Bodine has done. Bodine, thank you so much for being on the show. Really appreciate you joining us remotely. Tony, thank you for having me. And and that was a mouthful. I hope we can get it all in because <laughs> I, I have been known to uh, carry on uh, and be long winded. So stop me when it when when it's time to uh, move on. No worries at all. I love a good tangent for anybody who listens to the show. They know that uh, we tend to go down different tangents on every episode. So this should be a fun one for sure. So let's start awesome. from the beginning. Tell me about your the beginning of your journey and growing up in the South and then eventually moving because you went to Villanova University, moving to the Northeast and what that experience was like. Well, you know, that's the the premise of the book. Uh, and, and the title is uh, Race Against Against Race, My Journey Through Diversity and Inclusion Through Sports. And having that experience and and you can I'm sure you can. Uh, remember this, anytime we've had a race issue in this country, the media will say, and a lot of people will say, but I noticed the media will say, we need to have the race conversation. And I'd be driving down the street or sitting in my living room, yelling at the TV or radio, throwing something going, hold on, athletes have had this conversation. Why? because we're together, especially during the season, all the time. So Mother Nature makes it where we're going to have that conversation because you're gonna run into a radio issue, meaning music issue. Uh, you, you know, culturally, you talk about the clothes you wear, the, the hairstyle you have, whatever it may be. So coming from the South, 
Jacksonville, Florida, and then coming up, migrating up north, there already was a different culture. And I don't necessarily mean just the culture between uh, north and south. I mean, there is a difference between culture with my uh, black brothers and sisters who grew up in the north and my white brothers and sisters who also grew up in the north. It's a huge difference. And I'll give you a perfect example. Growing up in the south, folks hear it all the time, southern hospitality, right? I migrate from the south (laughs) up north which means I'm now on a campus with students, classmates who are from all over, but mostly from the Northeast, New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, right? All over. And we'll use New York as an example. If you ever met someone from New York, they're not the most friendliest person (laughs) when you first meet them. You say hello and they look at you like, uh, keep it moving. Why are you saying hello to me? So, but my journey started from, in my book, I start with graduating from high school, did not get an opportunity to go to college, had to work, wanted to work to help my mom out, single mom, had an older sister at uh, Bethune-Cookman in Daytona Beach, an HBCU. I was thrown a Hail Mary, given an opportunity to attend college, the first college I attended Cheney University, the oldest HBCU in the country, right here in our backyard in the suburbs of, of Philadelphia. So, and HBCU, went, sorry, to, sorry to interrupt. HBCU stands for acronym his- for Historically Black College University. Correct. And you might have heard that that acronym lately because our vice president, current vice president, she graduated from Howard University. So uh, I started at Cheney. Uh, And then from that point, was there one semester, had an opportunity to visit Villanova. Went on a visit to Villanova, fell in love with it. Villanova dropped their football program, the 80-81 season. And that was just when Howie Long got drafted to the Raiders. So they had no football program for three years. All of a sudden, they bring it back. They're going to start the football program from scratch in 80, the fall of 84. And that summer, after I finished that one semester at Cheney, I you know, went through the process of filling out the paperwork, communicating with the university, the athletic department, got in. And then next thing you know, I'm back on my way, migrating back up north from Florida to Villanova versus instead of heading to Cheney. And so I get to Villanova and it's not exactly what I thought it was going to be. Why? Because during my visit to Villanova was a BCS, Black Cultural Society party that happened on Easter weekend. So it was on a Friday night. Most of the students were gone. The only students left were the, 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 the students of color who were there for that party. So I assumed Villanova was more racially diverse. Some might, I mean, if I'm a follow on the sword, my, I might as well do it now. I literally seriously thought Villanova was a black school. Uh, 
you know, majority black, whatever word you want to use. But I thought it was at least a 50 50, if not more racially diverse, even school. Well, I'll tell you what my sister said during the summer when I broke the news to her that I was leaving Cheney, attempting to get into Villanova. She said to me, just because Georgetown has all black basketball players on their team doesn't make Georgetown a black school. That was her words to me. I actually put that in the book. So once I arrived on campus, I realized that I made the mistake. My sister was wrong, but it didn't matter as much as most folks would think because I was focused on football. Cheney was a Division II school. Villanova, although it dropped its program, reasserted, reemerged as D1 AA versus D1. So they were still the big boys, right? You know, relatively. And so they'd be playing teams. We would be playing teams like uh, Townsend, Delaware, Lehigh, you know, uh, 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 JMU, Connecticut, teams like that. So it, it wasn't like being in Division II. So it still was a, a dream of mine to play D1 football. So I was focused on that, focused on making the football team. Yes, I still had to make the adjustment because my high school, well, let me start. My junior high school, they call middle school now. <laughs> my junior high, senior high, and Cheney were all pretty much the same, meaning all black, 99.9%. Right. So, yes, Cheney, uh, Cheney might have had uh, a few uh, of our white brothers and sisters attending class there, but I didn't notice because I wasn't there long enough to notice, believe it or not. Right. One semester, that's really not enough to get really, really comfortable. So. But a good example would be I grew up with football coaches. All black men, junior high, senior high, Cheney, all black men. I get to Villanova, first day we meet the coaches, there's one African-American coach. So what are the chances he would be my position coach? Chances weren't that good. So of course, when I meet my position coach, he turns out to be uh, white. And I had to get used to that. I had to adjust to that. Right. And it took me some adjusting and I was able to do that with my teammates. My immediate teammates would be I was a defensive back. So my immediate teammates that I would see more than my other teammates would be other cornerbacks, strong safeties and free safeties, defensive backs. So our group. All had the same thought process of our coach. He was loud. He screamed and yelled. Right. He was very animated. He, you know, he was in your face. He was no different than any other coach I had had. The only difference was I didn't have the experience being coached by a white coach. So that's why I had to make the adjustment. And once I was able to do that and my teammates helped me do that, then I was able to move along. Uh, evolve, grow, and 
really focused on improving as a student athlete. Now let's talk about a little bit of that struggle. Cause I think getting it out in the open is helpful. Now I, I grew up personally in North Philadelphia, uh, went to a pretty urban elementary school. Um, and later in Philly, we have magnet high schools. I went to a magnet high school, but that didn't really change anything. Cause it was a magnet high school within the city of Philadelphia in the public school system. So again, very diverse population of students for the most part, despite being a magnet school. And so I never really had that experience growing up. Um, you know, everybody was different from each other and that was it. It didn't really matter, you know? So what was some of that culture shock that you experienced? What were the issues in your own mind that you needed to overcome? And then what were the steps that some of those students, colleagues, teammates helped you, helped you, what are the steps that those colleagues helped you with to get you sort of past that initial hurdle? Well, a a good example would be, again, my coach. And what happened was um, Nate Booknight was my teammate. And Nate was from Norristown, Pennsylvania. And Nate uh, also transferred in from uh, Liberty. And so uh, he had experience growing up playing a team sport in a diverse environment. So he was able to look at me and say, hey, listen, He's our coach, our position coach is no different than any of your other coaches. And then my other teammates, my white brothers, right, would say, hey, that dude's crazy. And but what they also would say is he's a player's coach. So they recognized that he was different than what they were used to. But they also confirmed that he's a player's coach. He has our best interests at heart. So by them reinforcing that in our conversations gave me the ability to say, okay, Nate's saying it and John is saying it. Jay is saying it. Bobby is saying it, right? And so if if they're all collectively saying that, then I need to get on the board, right? I need to get on board, get on, get on the train along with my teammates, because as players, if you have a good coach and a coach, let's be honest, a coach is the same as a teacher, right? No matter what level. So if you're, you've had great coaches in your life and those coaches are teaching you the foundation of sports, meaning discipline, teamwork, uh, listen, right? Uh, do everything together, support each other, protect each other, you know, can all those things, you might even say part of the, the golden rule, right? Uh, in, in some shapes. Um, so once everyone else was on board, I didn't want to be left behind. I wanted to join the, join the crew. And I felt comfortable joining the crew because we were spending more time I had, I mean, in one week, I had spent more time with my white immediate defensive back teammates 
than I had spent with someone who didn't look like me in my entire life. So I was, you know, and and I'm, you know, I I should add, growing up in a Baptist environment, my grandmother was the head usher of our Southern Baptist Church. So I also had the the Christian Foundation to help me um, deal with, handle, you know, rethink, critically think about my next move. You know, what to say, what not to say, have those self-aware moments. So my teammates, my immediate teammates, the other defensive backs, played a very important role with me getting adjusted to the new environment on the field. And then that also helped me adjust to the environment off the field. Because once we were off the field, we all went our separate ways to a certain degree, you know, a certain degree because some guys lived in different, most of the guys lived in different parts of the campus, right? And some guys lived close, actually lived at home. So um, it took me a little longer to get used to the class, my classmates in the on-campus environment more so than my, my teammates, because we all had the common goal. We wanted to make the team. We wanted to play well. We wanted to start playing other teams and we wanted to win. So when you have a common goal, you, you set aside the individual, at least you're supposed to, you set aside the individual achievements and goals, and then you come together for the common goal. And so when you have a common goal and everybody's working towards this common goal, same goal, that makes it easier for everybody to, if not get along, respect each other. Because if you have teammates bickering, you're not going to win, period. If you don't trust your teammate to do his job, I do my job, teammate on this side does his job. If we're not doing our job and we don't trust each other to do the job and all of those other foundations of sports protect each other, have each other's back, you're not going to win. So you all have to be on the same page. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Now, one of the things that I find fascinating about this is, quite frankly, that type of culture shock can make or break any type of career, right? Whether it's a professional career, whether it's a collegiate athlete's career, et cetera. So what's Mm -hmm. your advice for someone who's going through something like that, whether it be professionally or on or off the field, right? What is your advice to someone who's going through that and is struggling to overcome it? and maybe doesn't have all of the elements of support that you were lucky enough to have, what's your advice to that individual to help them get past that? Two things. For me, you have to be focused on what you want. And you also have to trust the people that have your best interests at heart, right? Which means sometimes you have to open up. Right. You have to open up and allow people who are trying to help you help you and not reject that. And I write about that in the book. In the beginning, I was rejecting people helping me because I'd never had a person that didn't look like me help me before. So along with opening up, embracing 
working towards embracing my environment. It wasn't all of a sudden I woke up one day and go, okay, I'm here, I'm happy. No, you have to work towards, right? There's a process, work towards embracing it. But also I had the confidence, some might, and I, I write about this a little bit in my book that by the time I graduated, one of the nicknames I had was I had a, an angle of arrogance about me, but it was because I was confident but I was confident because I knew I had worked hard to get where I was. And I knew what my ability was in terms of on the field. What I had to do was gain that same confidence regarding my academic studies. Once I accomplished that, then it was it was really smooth sailing. And it didn't matter what happened after that, because at that point, I knew I had accomplished my goal, which was to play D1 football and I was on my way to graduate. So you got to have, you got to be focused and you also got to embrace the folks who are, who are genuinely trying to help you. You can't push people away when they're making an attempt to build a relationship with you. Right. And, and so I, I that's what I learned. That's amazing. And now, Honestly, did you feel like you were an essential and valued part of the team at Villanova? Because this is something that people struggle with professionally, uh, at school, certainly in new environments. I mean, being a transfer student to begin with is already a difficult transition to begin with. Never mind the culture shock and trying to make it at a, a very well-known team, a team that's hard to make it on to begin with, right? So did you feel like you were a valued part of the team? Yes, no, why or why not? Uh, I, well, when you get an opportunity to play, you feel like you are, you know, a valued member of the team. And that's the struggle with athletes. When you don't play, you feel like you're not a part of the team. But what I learned through having mentors and folks who were there supporting me, what I learned was you have to play your role, whatever that role is. And I had experience playing that role in high school, right? So I had experience not accomplishing what I wanted, but I also didn't give up on wanting to continue living my dream. So uh, having the confidence and the will to not want to quit helped me in that, in that scenario you're describing. So uh, it, it's, it really is about relationships. When you, have when you have people you can talk to, when you have people who have your best interests at heart, but also if you're in the right place, right? If you're mentally, emotionally in the right place, then you can move forward, you can progress, you can evolve and you can, and you gotta stay positive. I mean, really, let's keep it simple. You gotta stay positive, right? <laughs> it really is about your character as well. You can't go around blaming everybody. No, you, sometimes it's about you and I have never was the type of kid that went around blaming other people about what happened to me. I was taught 
You did it. It's your fault. Solve it. So that's what I had to do. If I was academically ineligible, I had to pull myself up by the bootstraps, get back eligible so I can get back on the team. Right. If I got hurt, I had to pull myself up, go to the training room and and stick to the the, the regimen of getting you know, physical therapy so I can get back on the field. So it's really about what's in you also, right? And you can always pivot and adjust if you're seeing yourself going in the wrong direction. You can always pivot, meditate, whatever it is you need to do, but gain control of who you are and what you want to do and then, re- and then get in that lane and stay in that lane. That's great advice. And I'm, I'm a pretty positive guy myself, so I couldn't agree with you more. I think at the end of the day, it comes down to, you know, things happen. You can't control that. But what you can control is your response to those external stimuli or however you want to put it. Right. And you really do have a lot of control over your destiny or over the path that your life is on, whatever you want to call it. In the context that it's all about how you react to it. And it's funny, and and I'm curious to get your take, to get somebody else who's also a pretty positive guy's take on, to me, the more positive I became and the more just sort of centered, and don't get me wrong, there are things that can piss you off on occasion, right? Don't get me wrong, but the way that you react to it makes such a difference that more and more and more, I just take the, hey, you know, no big deal, you know, just kind of let the person who cut you off pass or whatever it is that that's kind of got your blood boiling a little bit and more and more positive things tend to happen because of that. Has that been your experience as well? Yes. And it's not easy. I'm not perfect at it. I, you know, uh, I, you know, over the years <laughs> I, I have lost my cool. Right. And, and I, I try to remember what my mom would say you know, when you lose your temper, you better go find it, you know? So, but yeah, it's really, it starts with, with you as a person and your experiences, but also not letting whatever chips on your shoulder get the best of you, right? You just got to keep it moving, right? And, you know, at my age, I have learned, I'm continuing, I continue to learn to this day. You never stop learning. Uh, but I, I would agree with you. It's really about staying positive, being focused, knowing what you want and staying in that lane and staying focused um, because distractions will get you in trouble. It will get the team in trouble. It breaks you. It, it takes you away from your focus, which means you're not focused on whatever it is you're trying to accomplish. I hope that answered that question. No, that that was a solid answer. And I also appreciate that you got in there, that you're always learning and that that's something that you still to this day continue to do, which, again, is something that I kind of live by. I'm constantly, constantly, constantly curious about picking up new skills, regardless of whether or not they're professional. Sometimes, you know, it can be a little bit, okay, Tone, you got to stay in your lane. It's not time to go learn to do X, Y, or Z, because it just doesn't fit right now. But at the same time, you know, it's just something that I'm constantly curious about doing, you know, learning new things, picking up new skills. This podcast evolved from that relationships like this, being able to sit down and learn from somebody like you or other guests that have been on the show. Those are huge opportunities that purely just come out of the fact that you're open to 
new experiences, constantly staying in that student mindset, I think has a lot to do with the way that we face and embrace the world as it is. There's an old Zen saying, and I'm going to butcher it, but Generally speaking, I'll just kind of give you the the Cliff's Notes versions to go old school on this uh, Zen saying. But you can find the saying that I'm referring to in a book called Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind, which is a fantastic book. And the saying essentially is that in the student's mind, the possibilities are endless, but in the expert's mind, they are not. There, There's only essentially a limited amount of possibilities. And so if you're a student and you're sort of open-minded to the experiences that come at you. I think things just tend to happen in a better way, you know? So you talked a little bit about how your teammates and classmates developed and grew relationships with you because you were Mm -hmm. open-minded and very positive. So what's sort of the one piece of advice, the one best practice that you have for people in general to be able to address, develop, and grow relationships with people from different backgrounds, different cultures, different ethnicities? Wow, there's there's no there's no silver bullet, but um, what I'd say is number one, you just have to be yourself, your authentic self. Again, you have to embrace your environment. Uh, you have to, if you really want to mature and grow and be known as a worldly person, someone who is smart, someone who is is nice, someone who could be friends with many people, you have to embrace the diversity, right? Embrace diversity. And that means variety, right? Everyone can't I mean, it can, but does that make you, does that put you in a position where you are learning lots of different things, um, learning about different people, right? I mean, we live in a world where we're, we're, you know, we live in a world where we're constantly working with or working around different people. That's the world we live in. So the more diversity you have, the better it'll be for you as an individual because you can then have conversations with folks from different socioeconomic backgrounds, different religions, different, you know, class, right? Uh, I mean, it's just, it's endless and it's important because if you go to a party, you want to go to a party to have fun. But if you go to a party and you feel uncomfortable, that's not their problem. That's your problem. Everybody else at the party is having fun except you. Why are you not having fun? Because you grew up in an all black environment and you don't know how to have fun or have a conversation or dance to different music that they're listening to. It's 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 come on. If you have diversity in your music, in your food, in your movies, in, in your reading, in everything, you're going to feel comfortable wherever you go, pretty much. So that's the upside of having diversity in your life. Being able to have a conversation with people you meet for the first time and they bring somebody brings up a movie 
and you and you you feel good because you can now add to that conversation. Or someone brings up a, a particular genre of music and you can add to that conversation. Or someone brings up a food. Now, listen, people will know when you're lying. They'll know when you're faking it. You have to be genuine because if you say something that's wrong, some people are going to not say anything, but some people are going to call you out and say, hold on, you're wrong. You don't want that. Or worse, like you said, they won't <laughs> say anything and they'll just exclude you from the next interaction. You'll lose out on the opportunity for growth, for connecting with somebody else. But also, I think there's an, a, an opportunity there in those types of situations to be open to being honest and genuine about not knowing about certain things, right? And being curious, as we said before, about those opportunities and, and those things that you maybe aren't familiar with, right? To say, hey, I'm not familiar Absolutely. with that music. Would you be willing to introduce me to it? And I think Absolutely. that openness and that sort of vulnerability actually really creates ties and helps people to bind together a little bit. Absolutely. And I'll add, Tony, I'll add one more thing as an example. Take being competitive out of building relationships. It's not a competition, right? <clears throat> You've been to, let's, let's stick to the parties. You've been to parties, folks are bragging, uh, a husband and wife is bragging on their 10-year-old daughter by telling a story. They're happy. They're rejoicing about their, you know, they're bragging on their kid. That's great. Don't be the one to try to upsell their, their story about your kid? No. That, take the competitive nature out of building relationships. And there is where we as a society have a problem. We don't know when to turn on the competitive juices and when to turn them off. Athletes tend to learn how to turn it on and turn it off. Because our coaches will say, control your emotions, right? If you're playing a football game, which we, I hope you will agree, is the toughest, roughest game on this planet. For sure, yeah. If it wasn't, if it was easy, every country on the planet would be playing it. Let's not get it twisted. It is the toughest game on the planet. So. When you have to have that much energy and aggression for 60 minutes, right? Regardless if you're on the sideline, you are a rotating player or you're a starting player. Well, that's the thing, right? You're coming off and on at sort of play by play at times, right? Especially in you, today's NFL and today's college football, you have running backs by committee, of course. You have all sorts of you have two quarterback tandems playing even at the NFL level. You have two quarterbacks, Eagles, uh, the Saints in the similar situation. You have two quarterbacks who are coming in and out at different yes. times. So you have to be able to turn it on and turn it off. And so when a coach say mentally, mentally be ready, they mean be ready. Every, every aspect of that word, be ready. So you you have to know. And again, most players, if they had a great coach know when to turn it on and turn it off. Turn it off when you go in the locker room, get a shower. By the time you walk to your dorm or you go home, you should be in a new mode, right? So athletes tend to know how to do that. 
folks who haven't had that opportunity, regardless if you play peewee, pop one or t-ball, little league, whatever it may be, whenever you stopped, you still had, if you had a great coach, you still understand the coaching and the teaching. I'm talking about folks who've never played organized sports. They may not know how to turn and flip that switch on and off. So when it comes to building relationships, you got to know when you got to remove the uh, um, spice, <laughs> if you know, if you want to use spice a as a uh, metaphor, analogy, it, you, you got to know when to remove the spice out of whatever the gumbo soup you're making, because that's not going to help you in the process of building genuine relationships from the beginning, from the beginning. So talking about that and, and building relationships and looking at this from a practical perspective that we can then take and apply into a professional setting, especially with, as you said, people who maybe don't have that experience of playing team-oriented sports of being in these similar situations, how mm -hmm. do you suggest that people start conversations about race? Uh, well, I, I, again, my approach is different than, you know, for the past few months since George Floyd situation, you would hear people say we need to have uh, uncomfortable conversations. Uh, I don't agree with that. I'm not beating them up because if that's their approach, that's their approach. My approach is the low-hanging fruit, easy approach. Uh, because again, I grew up in the South, hearing you catch you catch more flies when honey than you do with vinegar. So I believe it's just like if you're walking into a department store or a bar or a restaurant and you meet someone for the first time, right? You don't slap them in the back of the head and say, nice to meet you. No, you extend your hand, you introduce yourself, and you begin from there. You introduce yourself, you start to find common ground. So let's use food for an example. Tony, you may like seafood. I may absolutely love fried catfish. Right. So so but on a particular day, you're eating seafood salad and I'm eating, you know, uh, Italian. So next thing you know, we're having a conversation and we both find out that we both like Chinese food. So we begin the relationship from, OK, here's what we have in common. Here's what we have different. But here's what we have in common. What, what, what do you like about Chinese food? You like sushi. I, just, I like sh shrimp fried rice. So you build it from there, right? It, again, it's not a competition. It's genuine finding out what the person likes, what, what you have in common, how you can grow the relationship from that point, and then you grow it from there. But it's not a competition about uh, and, and you're coming from the right place. It's not a competition about, oh, I've I've had this done to me and you've had that done to you. No, it's not a grievance fest. 
<laughs> it's about building a positive relationship the right way, the easy way, and you work your way. And once or after six months, maybe a year, who knows? But over time, and you build a relationship, you build trust, right? You get to know each other the same way you would call your best friend. Well, how long did it take you to, to get to know your best friend, right? So over time, then you're able to tackle the uncomfortable conversations. Because not all race conversations are uncomfortable, but the really tough ones. Put it this way, there's Tony, there's no way you can convince me that if you and I met for the first time and we began having a conversation about Black Lives Matter, Blue Lives Matter, White Lives Matter, you know, that whole scenario, that 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 there's no way you and I are gonna walk away from that conversation's going, wow, we're best friends. It's not going to end. It, you're not going to come. In other words, you're not going to end that conversation with a positive outcome. That's a that's an uncomfortable conversation to have, right? So you work your way up to those, and it takes time to do that because it takes time to get to know people. Well, it's as you pointed out. You need to first find this common ground. Start from there. Maybe find some shared values, right? We all want what's best for our families, for example. That's a good place to start if you've got nothing else. Generally speaking, most people are going to be in that position. So, you know, you need to kind of search, though. Again, there's some curiosity here about, you know, asking the right questions, looking for the right opportunities, looking for the common ground that we can stand on. Even if, worst case scenario, all we have is the fact that we both like Chinese food. Let's start from there. Let's start from there and share an experience that that we've had, you know, in our past and start to build at least a good place to have that conversation. That's great advice. Absolutely. A positive experience that we've had in our past, not a negative one, and not look at the other person as other. (laughs) Right. Golden rule. Treat them the same way you want to be treated. Right. Need some empathy in there mixed in. Oh, absolutely. Without empathy, I would not have made, I mean, I probably because I'm, I'm not a quitter, but I write in my book about the special relationship that I have with two particular teammates because they showed empathy when I didn't have enough funds to pay for room and board. I only had enough to pay for tuition. I had two teammates step up. Wow. And allowed me to sleep in their room for the full year. That's powerful. Now I had, yeah. Up until that point, I had other teammates who would let me sleep in their room for a day or two. And then I felt uncomfortable because I knew, you know, they, they were enjoying college life. So I go to another guy's room and another teammate's room. So I had teammates who stepped up. Don't get me wrong. But two particular teammates, Perry Hodge. And Rich Lage and Rich Lage, we we gave him the nickname of Big Country. Three guys, Tony, from three different parts of the South. Hilton Head, South Carolina. Me from Jacksonville, Florida. And Big Country from Charlottesville, Virginia. Three guys from three different parts of the South, three different religions. As roommates. In a very small two bed, two dorm room with only two beds in it. Right. Wow. Wow. And people didn't think it would last a full year. And it did. We were able to build a relationship 
that till this day, 30 plus years, second to none, second to none. They are my brothers. We love each other. When we talk to each other on the phone, before we hang up, we say we, we love each other. Their wives hear us say we love each other. And they, they I, you know, it has an emotional aspect to it for them, seeing their husbands, who they may see in a different light. You know, everybody has a different perspective of their, you know, their significant other. And they may not have seen it. You know, you can see it a father and their kids or a father and his buddies, drinking buddies or golfing buddies. But to hear their husbands say, hey, I love you. Let's, you know, we'll catch up next week or next month or whatever. Uh, it, you know, I've learned it's a powerful, a powerful thing. So, and people see athletes talk about my brother or my sister, if it's a female athlete, they don't know how it got to that point because the media only has a five minute block to interview an athlete. And they, they don't ask the athlete, how did you become brothers or sisters? So if a, a fan is watching it on TV, Tony, and they hear Tom Brady says, these are my brothers, I love them. Yeah, it makes everybody feel good and you should feel good. Yeah. But unfortunately, not having the time, meaning the media, having the time to see how that sausage is made hurts the building, the relationship building process that the viewer should be able to learn. Right. If we're learning about the athlete by watching him get interviewed, we need to learn more. In order to say as, as a fan, wow, if Tom, because if you're a fan of Tom Brady and he's telling you he loves all his teammates and he actually proves that he loves all his teammates, that can have an effect on you as a fan, right? Not just a kid, because we know the kids look up to the pro athletes, but as an adult, you could learn from those athletes how they were able to get in that position where their wives love each other and get along where, you know, it's a, it's a family environment. So that's what's missing. And that's what I tried to accomplish in my writing, in my book. How did I get to the point where I could say, I love big country, Perry Hodge, Bobby days, you know, Rashid Walker, Bobby Rosado, you know, Billy McDonough, who wasn't a teammate. He was just a classmate. Uh, you know, so how do you get there? So, you know, it's a process. It doesn't happen overnight. So what is different from your book versus other books on diversity and inclusion? Well, uh, most of the books I researched on diversity and inclusion um, talk about they're either academic studies and research where they give you lots of statistics, but they're not giving you the really true social, human, empathetic, those intangibles that you can't measure with a measuring stick or a pen or a book, right? 
it's I, you know, I go into the the emotional aspect of how you emotionally build a relationship with someone. How do you go from having no diversity in your life to having Don DiCarlo by the time I graduate, an Italian, former Marine, former police officer who was my boss as a work-study student, right? Be my father figure. So I talk about that, right? And most athletes you hear, athletes will pick out their coach or a coach as their father figure away from home. Well, that was Don DiCarlo for me. And they were, but I had to build up to that stage. So there was Bobby Lambert, who was, who worked for the university. Uh, There was Gene Fazio, who was in charge of the financial aid department, who looked under every rock to, to make sure I had, there was money, if it was available, her and my godmother, well, you know, I talk about this in the book. My godmother had worked at a junior college. So she was in constant communication with the financial aid director. And I never saw my mom have a relationship with another white woman in terms of respectful relationship. But I got a chance to see my godmother have one, a professional, respectful, and probably friendly relationship just from talking on the phone about my well-being. So there was a little crumbs, little examples along the way that allowed me to say, hey, what I learned growing up in the South is not necessarily true. And you have to, your eyes have to be open to that, right? If your if your if your mind, your eyes, your ears, and your heart is open to it, then you can embrace your new environment wherever it may be. And I'm not the only one. There are guys out there, there are gals out there, there are people out there who have embraced a different socioeconomic background than they grew up in, and they're thriving, they're well, they're okay, they have great relationships. Uh, We just need more. We need more. And in order to get there, it can't be artificial, it can't be fake. You got to start from scratch. It, it doesn't matter what age you are, you can always start from the beginning. And I think a lot of folks are doing that by reading books, reading the books that are out there and available, talking about, you know, the social justice movement and so on. But it's not just our white brothers and sisters got to do it. Our black brothers and sisters got to do it as well. It has to be a team effort. It's not a one side. I mean, really, it's not. Some people will say, well, it is. Well, it depends on how you look at it. If we're all doing our part, if we're all doing our job, as Bill Belichick would say, and I am not a Bill Belichick fan, but, (laughs) (laughs) right? I grew up a Tom Landry fan. But if we're all doing our part and doing our jobs and doing what we can do, pitching in, we can get it done. And and that's all, you know, that, that was the goal for writing the book, you know, me falling on the sword, me telling my story, me not pointing the fingers, right? And giving people an opportunity to say, hey, if he could do it, 
coming from his environment, how he grew up in his new environment, uh, you know, I, I, I believe anybody can do it. I have faith people can do it. And I may not be the only athlete that has done it in terms of going from an all black environment to a, P, a, a PWI, predominantly white institution, and come out with a positive outcome. I'm sure I'm not the only athlete. Now, I may be the only athlete that went to an HBCU and then transferred, who knows? But it, it, it's really, it's, it's anybody can do it. They just got to want to do it. That's great advice. And I couldn't agree with you more that it takes a team effort. Once again, that book is Race Against Against Race. And that's available on Amazon. And that's in Kindle, hardcover, paperback. I'll drop a link below in the show notes. Or if you're listening to the audio version of this as well, go back to your app. The link will be down there in the show notes as well, where you can go directly to Bodine's book and pick up a copy. Yep, they can get it from my website bo-deansanders.com. It's available on all your favorite online retailers. But yeah, so, it, you know, I, I'm I'm really excited and, and I am happy about the reviews that I'm getting, the comments that I'm getting. Uh, sure, I'm not Kareem Abdul-Jabbar in terms of, you know, making the New York Times bestseller list, you know, the first week. But this is a process, right? I see this as a process. It, I didn't write a book about Hogwarts, vampires, or zombies, right? This is real life. This can have a positive effect on people. So I am in this diversity and inclusion space. I'm an advocate. And uh, if anybody has any questions for me, they go to my website. They can email me from my website. Um, you know, I'm happy to reach out. And, and have a conversation with them. Anything I can do to help. Awesome. Thanks so much, Bodine. This was a great conversation. Thanks for being on the show. Thank you, Tony. I appreciate it.